Welcome back to another episode of your favorite nerdy marketing design podcast. On this show, we go behind the scenes of tech companies to learn from their brand and marketing design processes and projects. And today I'm speaking with Lynn Zagoski-Latimer, who is a staff brand designer at Scale AI. I'm very excited that I get to feature an AI company in this season, given AI is very much in the zeitgeist at the moment. And it was really interesting to talk to Lynn about how the rise of AI has impacted her since she joined the company a little over a year ago. So right before the AI conversation really exploded. Scale AI helps companies to develop their own AI applications and models. And in this episode, Lynn shares some really interesting insights about their target audience and how she designs for them. And we also dig into the production of Scale AI's annual AI readiness report. And I personally learned a lot from Lynn about her process for designing it, and I know you will too. So let's dive in and take a look inside marketing design at Scale AI. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Very excited to have you here and to learn more about Scale AI. Let's start by you telling me a little bit more about the brand team that you're on. How many people are on it? What types of roles are making up this brand team? Right. So uh, right now we're a very small team of four. There's me. I'm a staff brand designer. There's Tim, who is the head of brand design. Ricky, who is one of the OGs. He was actually one of the first hires at Scale. He's a staff designer, does a lot of web stuff, does a little bit of front end as well. Also, we have another front end engineer. And then we have a wonderful agency that we work with for a lot of stuff as well. Cool. That's nice. I like that you've got like design and development though happening within mm-hmm. the same team. We have that on my team at Convertkit as well. And I love it. It's also very cool to see staff brand designer. I feel like this is, it's like less common for a brand designer to be at the staff level than it is for a product designer. And so I'm really excited about that. Can you tell us as staff brand designer, what are you responsible for? Yeah. So I recently got promoted. Uh, very Congrats. exciting that Scale does, uh, like has a parallel IC track to the management track. So I think that's a really great way to value individual contributors and provide them with more leadership than just like a senior or regular brand designer. So the stuff that I am responsible for, I would say like primarily there's a lot of programs and sort of like sub brands for scale that I sort of art direct, create new branding, but also assets for those branding. So I'm still very much in the weeds in the programs, as well as working with agencies and partners to create like wonderful branding assets. Nice. You sort of get to be involved in the strategy, in art direction, but also still moving pixels around yourself. Yeah, which is exactly where I want to be. Nice. And what sort of projects do you end up designing yourself? Like, what are the projects that you're like, I'm opening up Figma and I'm moving the pixels for this one? Yeah, so I think I I really like the larger scope projects where I'm opening up Figma, but I'm also opening up multiple other programs. I'm a multiple program girly for sure. But I think like what those assets tend to look like practically is like a lot of print stuff. I've been doing more print stuff at scale than I have at any other tech company, which is like super exciting, kind of gets me back to my roots. There's just something so wonderful about like holding something that you've produced and designed in your hands. I love seeing stuff on the web, obviously, but there's just something like very special. So uh, a lot of care goes into it. There's also some stress around like when it's printed, like you can't do any it's fast printed. follows. Yeah. Like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> typos, everything. Like you have to have a very high attention to detail. I've also been involved in a lot of executive presentations. So one of the things that I have really loved doing at scale is 
working with our CEO on some of his like bigger presentations. So he recently did a TED Talk on the big TED stage. He's also been presenting in front of U.S. Congress people and senators and doing kind of like bigger talks for thought leadership. And so as a senior designer, you know, staff designer, I think that there's a lot of like opportunity not to just like make something pretty, but also like have a communication and really let their brand shine through. But also there's this like added wrinkle of like the CEO is representing scale, but he also has his own personal brand, which is kind of interesting. Those are some of the things I work on. And then I'll also say that I just work on a lot of the regular day-to-day stuff that I've worked at at almost all the tech companies I've worked at. So one pagers, growth ads, emails, product launches and all the stuff that goes around that. And then my favorite is the company swag. So Ooh, all the stuff yes. that the employees get for fun. That's what I That's love. That's always fun. I love that. And where does the brand team fit into the wider like org structure at scale? Because I think this yeah. is always interesting to see where, where a company puts the brand team because we can kind of, I don't know, be flexible. Where is it at at scale? I love that the brand team can really fit and work with all different departments At scale, we are under marketing and communications, and we didn't always used to be under marketing and comms. Like we were previously in engineering product and design, and we had a recent reorg. But I think I actually like being in the marketing department a little bit more. I have all my marketing besties, all my comm besties. And I think that there's just like a greater camaraderie and like collaboration when you're working in those teams and you're kind of like, really aligned on the marketing goals and like how brand can help. And you can be more proactive rather than reactive about, you know, what are some things that I've done at my previous companies that they're not necessarily asking of me, but I know would be a low lift, but could potentially have like big payoffs for the marketing goals. Yes, I love that. I've definitely felt that too. It's the same at ConvertKit. The brand studio team is part of the growth org and we actually sort of split out from the marketing team when we started growing and realized that like having 12 direct reports for our director of marketing probably wasn't going to pan out long term. And I find that it makes us feel less like, oh, the marketing team are our clients internally. And it's more like we're working on this project together and we're just approaching it and like taking care of different sides. Yeah, totally. I, I feel the same way. Nice. So I was going to ask what other teams you collaborate most often with. And it sounds like it's marketing and comms is, is the yeah. ones you most, most often That's- work with. That's definitely the big one. We also work a little bit with the people team for recruiting and employee experience, swag. And we've also helped and consulted with the office interior design. So like wayfinding, signage, murals. I've gotten to pick out furniture, which is really fun for me because I really like interior design. And then we also work with the product team and the sales team kind of like as needed where the marketing doesn't like completely overlap on a project. Oh, getting to pick out like office furniture and be involved in that sort of thing. That's maybe the one thing I miss from now I work at a remote company from being at a company with an office because I used to get involved with that sort of stuff earlier in my career at zero. And we would be like figuring out what was going to go on the walls and making posters. That was super fun to like craft people's work environment. I love that. Is Scale AI remote though? You work remotely, don't you? I work remotely. I'd say the majority of the company is in a hub. So we have multiple offices. We have SFHQ, which is definitely like the biggest office. I love visiting, but- And getting to do handiwork. 
<laughs> yes. I love, I love going and everyone is so nice. The office is beautiful. The marketing and comms team is mostly distributed. Cool. Um, and the brand experience team is distributed as well. So I kind of get the best of both worlds in that nice. department. Nice. Tell me more about what your collaboration looks like with product designers, because if you used to be, you know, part of the same team as them, and now you're in a different like part of the org, how has that changed what collaboration looks like and what sort of things do you still work on together with them? A really good thing about being on the same team initially is that we got to be in meetings together and bonded that way. And so now the relationship is a little bit less formal, but you know, I still talk to one of the product designers almost every day at work and she'll ask me for my opinions on things and I'll ask her on opinions on things that I'm working on. It's definitely more fluid than formal. And I'd say those informal relationships are how we keep ties, but we're always looking for ways to kind of improve the collaboration between our two teams. The limiting factor is just how much time we have to do that. Yeah. Yep. I feel that totally. But it sounds like, yeah, like you said, you've built up that great foundational relationship. So if you ever see something happening in the product where you're like, ooh, you know, we could do this differently to better enhance the brand experience, you could speak up and that wouldn't be coming out of left field because you already are talking to those folks all the time. No. And one thing that I really love about the product designers too, is that we all have very high standards. And so I feel very like comfortable asking for their opinions on things. And they ask me for, for my opinions on like the product design and we try to get closer to each other all the time. So nice. I love that. It's like any relationship, it takes work, right? Yes. <laughs> Let's talk more about the Scale AI brand. How would you describe it? Yeah, so I would describe it as chic or cool, uh, futuristic, um, premium, uh, clear and concise, and very abstract. And, nice. You Those know, are great words. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. And even better word. And who's the yeah. target audience for Scale AI that you're designing for? Yeah, so we kind of have two different big buckets of audiences. The first one is an AI-enabled audience who is AI developers or engineers or companies that are kind of like more focused or have like AI as a big part of their business model. So when I first started at scale, like a good example of that would have been the self-driving car or autonomous vehicle industry. We had a lot of customers and we still do, but now like one of our biggest customers are the types of uh, large language models or LLMs that are like OpenAI or ChatGPT. And so those companies are like a huge part of our business. And then we also have the AI constrained part of our audience, which we would describe as like larger enterprises or the government who may not have a large team with AI experts, but they are interested in applying or seeing how AI could apply to their organization and they need help with that. So that has been kind of like the two biggest parts of our audience. Those different people within those audience might change a lot, but I think yeah. like that's the two mindsets that we're kind of going after for sure. They're quite different mindsets too, right? Like one is like at the forefront of AI, knowing everything about it, like obsessed with learning more about new developments and things like that. And the other is just like trying to play catch up and like knowing that this is going to be valuable. Do you find that you adapt the brand for these different target audiences? Is there like, what do you have to consider when you're designing for them? Yeah, that's a great question. It was really tempting to kind of 
develop a brand, especially for like the government that was different than our main brand. And before I started, I think that there was there was some like branding directions that were kind of trending that way, you know, trending a little bit less dark mode, less cool, more like corporate. And I think, you know, the feedback from the Fed team was actually like our customers really like the scale, like cool part of the brand. So if you could just make everything as cool as everything else you make, that would be great. So love hearing that feedback. Super, super nice. I think like AI is a little bit special in that it's like so futuristic and hyped up that you have the leeway to be a little bit more, I guess, like forward thinking with the brand design. You don't have to worry about alienating people too much because they're already in that mindset of like, we have to do this new thing. You don't have to like provide as much comfort to them in that way. That's really interesting. And now that you've said that, it's made me think too, if I saw an AI company brand that felt like really corporate and like old world, I would be like, ooh, do I trust this company to do AI? Like, are they up with the play? I can see how that works. Yeah, there's like, you don't want to, you don't want to feel like you're coddling people or like making it feel like too, I guess, easy or... I, I think that there's like a level of like mystique in our brand that I think is is good because it, it makes people think harder about what they want to apply to their business. Yeah, and they're, they're working with you because they want the like special tech that developing an LLM or like working with AI can offer. Yeah, And so totally. you want the brand to like express that. That makes sense. So if the brand expression doesn't change a lot then between working with these two audiences, does the type of work you do change? Are you producing a lot of print work for the AI enabled folks who are like really into it and <laughs> spending a lot of time online, I'm guessing? <laughs> I think the biggest difference is directly talking to the audience of AI enabled people. I think that to me is the, the more typical stuff that you would associate with a brand designer. And so we have like product one pagers and all that stuff. We have produced print stuff for them. I think for our AI constrained audience, a lot of that has looked like thought leadership. I think like getting people into a place where they're just thinking about AI and thinking about the future, there's a lot of stuff that they can apply now. But I think what we're really trying to do is like plant the seeds for what you could do in two to five years. How we do that is kind of like with these talks, with conferences. There is a lot of print stuff. We did like an AI report that sort of talked to like both audiences a little bit. And so I think that to me has been the biggest difference. We also want to be cautious of like, we have these like big thinking, like thought leadership projects, but we also do like have real products that the AI constrained people can like use today or now, tomorrow. Yeah. And so we do also do a lot of like, product communication around right. that as well. Oh, that's really interesting. And I definitely want to dig into that report in a little bit as well, because we talked before we started recording about how this is going to be a nice nerdy conversation and reports are like, you know, ticking all of my my nerdy, nerdy dreams. But first I want to hear from you, like, I was really excited when you, uh, we got in touch to like be able to feature an AI company in this season, because I mean, AI is everywhere now, right? Like, I feel like I'm hopping on the trend by like, oh, yes. I'm going to have an AI episode. It's like surged in popularity. How has that felt yeah. for you as a designer working at an AI company? Luckily for us, 
we didn't have to do a whole lot of scrambling from the brand side. I think like when I started about a year before like AI popped off, we still had a very futuristic, strong brand. And we were already kind of talking to those AI constrained people, maybe a little bit differently. We had different products and different offerings, but we had already kind of started that move. So I didn't feel like there was a lot of whiplash there, which is great. For me personally, like it's been kind of crazy because AI was cool when I started in 2022. Don't get me wrong. I was really excited to work here, but it's it's crazy because like you really can't escape people talking about AI. It's on the news. It's like every magazine that I read, it's like a little bit too much in Twitter, you know, all the threads, all the how you to make money off of chat GPT is just kind of like, yeah, you know, but that's not what we do. We have been doing this for such a long time. Scale has been around since 2016. So like, we're very much here to stay. The hype, who knows where we are on like the S curve of like the hype cycle or whatever. I think it's like important to be a little bit skeptical when crypto came out, I was very skeptical and I feel vindicated in my skepticism to some extent, um, especially NFTs, because that was like, I think, just as saturated. But I think that there are certain things about AI where it's a little bit of everything. It's like the internet in the early 1990s. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of stuff that probably won't work out, but there's also a lot of promise and we're really optimistic about the future of AI and how it works into the world. I love that, I, especially as a note to end that sort of like thread of AI and the hype on like optimism is yeah. is going to be key for us here. It must feel cool though to be working at a company that is experiencing this hype. I felt that way working at a creator economy company in 2020 <laughs> when like that was popping off and like all of these other companies started getting their investors and things like this and we were already bootstrapped and profitable. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's it's definitely new for me. I've I've been in tech for a long time, but the industries I was in before were like not as exciting as AI for sure. Like we can I just say in, less cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cool. Well yeah, it sounds like you were basically already developing a brand that had the cool factor that you know, felt futuristic and communicating with both major parts of the audience before the hype. And so maybe the answer is that nothing much has changed apart from more eyes on your work now. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Nice. Well, let's talk about your AI readiness report. Where does a project like this start? What team does it come from? And like, is there an official brief that gets handed to you for it? So this is our second year putting out the report and we definitely... Okay put a lot of the insights and learnings from last year into this year's report. There was a, definitely a brief. It came from our lovely product marketing managers, and they're also with us on the marketing team. So it was definitely like a marketing like initiated project. So this year, I think like the brief was we want to build off of what we did last year and really just kind of like flesh it out, do a couple things differently, see if we can really like drive some of our goals for the the first quarter. The assets that were kind of like asked for was a landing page, which was gating a digital PDF. We also wanted to have a bunch of launch assets around the report. So ads, email banners, images for tweets, etc. This year we wanted to print a physical version of the report, which was a new piece. We kind of talked about doing it last year, but it didn't really work out. But this year, that was definitely like a goal 
was to have something physical for like a leave behind for executive dinners and like conferences and so on and so forth. Our general goals were we had a certain number of leads that we wanted to get from this report since it was gated. And then we just, we had this like nebulous goal of thought leadership, um, which is a little bit harder to quantify, but we can talk about like how that thought leadership like ended up happening. Absolutely. I want to hear first though, however much you can share, maybe just even one example. What was something you learned from last year's report that you applied to this one? And I'm asking slightly selfishly because we also produce an annual report at ConvertKit and I would like to learn what you learned as well. I think like the gated piece was really important. Like we had a little bit of confusion about what the report was going to be the first year. And this year we had a very clear outline of what we wanted the landing page and the report to be like. This year I wanted to try to get ahead of the content as much as possible. So like I built out a system for graphs. I built out like the kind of like skeleton of the report in InDesign with all the different type um, styles and, you know, margins and stuff beforehand. I try to do as much work beforehand because like once the content is locked, it is a very quick turnaround. I think just like the preparation was key and like knowing the type of stuff that we needed to like put into the report. So like I knew bar graphs was going to be a thing. I knew that quotes was going to be a thing. There were like a couple new sections that wasn't in the previous report that we kind of had to like create from scratch, but having at least like those things like in a good place where it's like all we need to do is just like input in the stuff and then like Tetris it in InDesign, that was a huge like load off my back to just feel like I was prepared once the content was done. Yeah, it's those sorts of moments where you're like, oh, past me really did current me a solid in getting all these styles and things set up. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Did you stick with the like main scale AI brand application for this or did you sort of create something more like a variation for a sub-brand with the report? How much freedom did you have in that? I am so lucky that I have a lot of creative freedom and we kind of like push the brand more in like the color aspect part. So Scale has a very iridescent brand. And for Zeitgeist, I kind of wanted to push it in this sort of like more colorful area because mostly I just wanted the graphs to be a little bit more visually interesting than like keeping it our normal colors, which are pretty cool. The Zeitgeist palette is very vibrant. I wanted to bring those gradients in, not just through the graphics and the data visualizations, but also in the quotes and other parts of the report. Yeah, I love that. What what tools did you use as part of this project? Because you mentioned InDesign, but like, yes. what what did you work on to create these beautiful gradients? Uh, the gradients for the quote pages and the chapter dividers. I used an online tool called Rory, and so you just input in your hex codes, and you can kind of like play around with the gradients. I used Spline, which is like an online three D program for distorting those gradients. So like there are kind of three visual elements to the report. There's the graphs and like the gradients. The gradients show up in the graphs, they show up in the quotes, and they show up in the chapter dividers. And then there's like this kind of glass aspect. So these like really cool glass shapes that our agency developed for us that are on the landing page, but they're also in the report. And then kind of like combining them was the gradients 
plus the spline like glass objects, which sort of distort the gradients. I used InDesign. I used a Figma plugin for all the graphs, which was great because you can actually have the graphs. The data comes from Google Sheets. And so you can update the graph as the data changes, which was super helpful because like as more responses would come in, the like graphs might change a little bit. And so instead of having to do that all manually, like you could just kind of update each graph and it just saved so and much no, time. And no, it was correct. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it was correct. No, no typos on my, on my end. I also used an AI tool called Gigapixel to up-res some of the graphics. AI up has been kind of like this really nice way to get around like render times, but also be able to produce things for print that you, normally you wouldn't. Like there's so much more raster in the form of like 3D at scale. So it's really nice to have like an AI up-res tool to do that. Nice. And that must have been especially important for the print part of the project, right? Yes. Yes. Couldn't yeah. have done the print without that. Nice. Cool. Okay. So you mentioned working with an agency on this and that they were the ones who first created the beautiful abstract glass shapes that we, we see. What was the process like working with them? When did they come in? Did you already know from the start that a piece of this project was going to go to the agency? And what else did they work on aside from the graphics? Yeah. So the agency that we work with also handled like the entirety of the landing page that I just sort of like art directed and oversaw. I didn't have to do a whole lot of direct handholding or feedback or really do a whole lot of work myself, which is amazing. And they came in really at the very beginning. They were with us on the first call. And I think for me, what was really important was they also came up with mood boards themselves. So like I had mood boards, they had mood boards. And it was actually their idea to like have these glass shapes, knowing those glass shapes we're going to like look so cool on the landing page. I also had just asked them for like, hey, can you just create like nine abstract shapes that have this sort of like refraction effect for the report? I think that's kind of like what made it really like click for me. Nice. And we are, when you look at the site and then also the report itself, which viewers of the video version of this will be seeing right about now. And if you're listening to the audio only, then uh, you can go check the link to check out the report for yourself. But you wouldn't know that it was two different people working on the site and the report, you know. So clearly you had great collaboration with the agency. And, you know, we're looking for these ties throughout, um, not just through graphics, but Honestly, it seems like the agency you work with really understands your brand and that you have a pre-established working relationship with them. Like my ears poked up when you said they joined the first call even. So like when you're learning about the project and like working with the team to come up with a plan, they were on that call too. And I'm like, okay, how should I be doing that more with some of the external partners we work with? Because I like tend to keep them quite external. I think just like when you have more context about what's going on, your partners can create assets that are much closer to what you both envision. And it's more of mm. a collaboration rather than just like me dictating to them what to do. I think yep. when, when they're involved in the mood boarding process, also it's like they're contributing what they're excited about and like what they think that they can do and what they want to do to some extent. So I think that helps. I think that helps with the execution a lot. Nice. Internally, who was working on this project with you from the from the brand team? Were you the only designer on it? I was the point or lead designer. I had support from Tim, but it was mostly me. There was 
the product marketing manager who was kind of like project managing the whole thing also like set out the survey and like analyzed the results and like wrote a lot of a good part of the report. Our growth team really helped out like with the launch. And we had, I, w- I want to say like three or four people from our agency who were working on this total. And then we also had our events team who really helped out with the printing portion. They like did a lot of uh, of the legwork, like finding the printer and communicating with the printer while I was like sprinting on the design of the actual report, which was super helpful. And then uh, we had partners in our like engineering product and design kind of like look over the content of the report and just kind of give it the thumbs up and make sure Mm -hmm. that it was making sense. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. And what was the timeline for a project like this that's involving so many different pieces and like so many different assets? How long did you get to work on it for? Yeah. So I want to say we kicked off in December. A big part of the time was like formulating the questions and gathering responses. And during that time, I was doing a lot of the visual development, creating some of the assets that were going to be a part of the report. We didn't really have like the content, so I couldn't do the graphs. I couldn't actually lay it out. I think when the content was like starting to be written and it was like no longer an outline, the graphs were at least like we had the questions and we had the number of responses is like the bare minimum of stuff that I need to like actually get started. I think I had about like four weeks. It was a pretty tight turnaround for the PDF, but I think like all the like work I did and all the like, you know, defining the graph styles and like really locking in the production process of like, once we have everything that we need, it's go time. And this is all I'm working on until it's done. It was great. And then once the digital PDF was done, it took another about a week to get the print version ready because there were just like a couple of very slight differences. And I wanted to get a, a physical proof before I like signed off on the final on the final print. So Yeah, you want to see it before you print like week. thousands of copies of this thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Yeah, wow. Okay. So what I I'm like in real time processing learnings from this for my own um, report we work on, we tend to not really start on the design process of it until it's written. So like the results are collected, it's written, we have work with an external partner for the research who like created the graphs for us. But like then we started thinking about how do we want to represent this visually. And so we're trying to like create something cool while also being on a deadline for like formatting the content and getting it out. And so it really does sound like you did yourself a favor by getting started on that early and working with the agency too. That's a yeah, great reminder for me. I should not wait for things to be completely ready before. I get <laughs> yeah, I think like I've definitely, when I was in college, I worked on a student newspaper. And so the way that it worked was very much like not the waterfall. Like you, you had to be ready mm-hmm. no matter what. And so yep, that, that's time. kind of, I think, like <laughs> the experience that I was pulling from because you just don't know if the content could, could really change potentially. It's good to just be a little bit more flexible and not be yep. completely overwhelmed by like the entirety of the report. I felt very prepared by the time the content was like done. I was very familiar with, like, I think I had, I'd read every word. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned at the start that one of the big goals of this report was the thought leadership piece, right? Establishing scale AI in the space, especially amongst all of like the noise that's rising up about AI at the moment. What were the results of the report? Were you happy with with how it performed? 
Yes. So it surpassed our download goals pretty quickly, I think, within the first nice. couple of weeks. But the thought leadership, I think, was probably the most exciting result of the report. Like we had some really cool, important people tweeting like little snippets of the reports and like graphs. So um, like the HubSpot CEO tweeted a graph and was talking about like AI in the context of scale. So that's really cool. You know, we used the content and like sort of the design elements for like a webinar that went really well. And we hosted kind of an event that I think had like great attendance. One thing that I loved to hear in the retro was that our growth team told us that the design of the report and the assets made it really easy to promote. We had better than average performance on like a lot of our normal growth stuff. So like the top of the banner of the website and like the LinkedIn ads, like the performance was better. The cost per click was lower, which is just like, you love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Like as a designer hearing this, what are you thinking? Oh, I bet it's because I made like this design decision. Like, do you have any insights into like why it performed better than previous things? I I just think that like we got really lucky with the timing. I think last year, Ty, the head of brand design at the time, he was like, we should call this report Zeitgeist. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's a cool name. And then this year, Zeitgeist really felt like almost too on the nose. Um <laughs> You know, it was just like, yeah, so, it was very much in the zeitgeist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was like peak AI hype. You know, we're still kind of in the peak AI hype. And so like yep. our whole thing was like, look past the hype and like, mm. how do you actually apply this to your business? And then I think the design of the report, it just kind of looks cool and colorful and it's like visually eye catching. And so I think all those things together made for like sort of an easier than normal marketing challenge. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, growth performance gold. <laughs> um, you said that you learned things from the previous year's report that you applied to this one. Is there anything that you've learned from the process of making this one that you think you'll apply to next year? Yeah, I, so I think from the team, like I think the big takeaway was that the marketing team should market the report internally before we actually launch. So I wish that we had like talked about it in all hands and gotten people really hyped because once we launched it, there were some people in our company who were like, this is so cool. Like, how did I just find out about this? And so I think just internally promoting it, I think is uh, something we'll do next year. And then for me personally, I kind of wish that I had gotten to do something a little bit fancier with the printing. I love that we got it. We got to print it, but there was like, I was like, I really want to do a die cut cover I think that would be really cool or like a yeah, especially with your cool graphical shapes that you have yeah, yeah yeah like I don't know I think it did it wasn't in the cards this time but it would be cool to do something a little bit more fancy and premium with the next report spoken like a true designer <laughs> wanting to always do something fancier for the print <laughs> I love it the point about marketing internally is a really good one though as well because sometimes when we're like fully embedded in a project and it's like all we're thinking about all we're working on we forget that other people in the company are off doing other things and yeah. they're not like living and breathing it like we are. And yeah, we've got to champion our work internally as well as externally. That's a, a really great point. I want to hear a little bit more about the website aspect of this and working with the agency on it. How do you communicate with the agency for something like this? Are they in your Slack? Are you like yes. in their Figma files, giving them feedback along the way? How's that work? We 
feel very much like they're the extended part of our team. They're in our Slack. Uh, we have a weekly meeting with the whole agency about all of the projects that we're working on. And they also will attend meetings kind of as needed for certain projects that we work on together. They're in Slack. We're in their Figmas. They're in our Figmas. Like it's very much cross-pollinated, like a very close relationship. I think like they work a lot on our website and they definitely have our brand sort of like dialed in. So we luckily for me and the rest of the team, like there's not a lot of overhead of like telling them what to do. Usually the biggest hurdle is just making sure that they understand the content and like making sure that they're communicating the content with the design. So, yeah. And did they design and build the page or did building come back into your team? Yeah, they, they designed and built the page. We found that they work even better like when their designers and developers work together on a project. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I can see how that makes a lot of sense. How does collaboration work then between the folks who are designing and building web pages internally and the agency so that you end up with a code base that is like aligned still? And I don't know if there's a design system that's in use, but to make sure that everyone's pulling from the same pieces. Yeah. So I, I'd say that Ricky handles a lot of like making sure that the design system is consistent. Luckily with Zeitgeist, like it was different enough and was like standalone enough from our brand that we didn't really have to worry about that as much. We launched a lot of new pages in the last quarter. And so we're kind of relooking and saying like, what can we improve? What sort of fast falls can we, can we produce to make sure that we're maintaining and evolving the brand in like a good direction? Yeah. And that you're doing that alongside the agency too, right? To bring them Mm -hmm. along so that as you're evolving the brand and the design system, they're understanding that as well. So that when they work on things, it's, you know, it's all looking like it's coming from the same place. Exactly. What are some things that you do to make sure that that happens, that like transfer of knowledge and keeping consistency with your brand across in-house work versus external produced work? I think we just try to over-communicate as much as possible, especially in Slack, there's a good amount of like repetition of just like, we're kind of like moving in this direction to make sure it's consistent. And then occasionally like we'll need to go in and modify the files a little bit. We have a partner kind of product side who's managing the webpage that the agency is working on. And they're kind of just like really struggling with like a particular graphic. Then we might like drop in and like help them and get them to that point where we're all like, happy and comfortable with the with the page yeah yeah I like that it's uh upskilling them as well and you know feeling like everyone is part of the same team we've talked a lot about giving feedback to the external partners and like you know feeding back and forth that way what about internal feedback how does that work for you like especially with something like this AI readiness report project where there's so many different pieces and a lot of people have their hands in the pie for the project yeah what does that process look like I think I'm trying to think back to if there's like a lot of design feedback. I was given a lot of creative freedom and trust. So there wasn't a lot of like, oh, we don't like these colors, like change these colors. The feedback, I'd say the biggest part of like managing that was either in Figma or in InDesign has a new feature where you can like upload like a version of the PDF and you can like make comments on it locally. So that really helped, especially at the end where it was like fixing a lot of typos and like people were making slight edits to the written part of the content. For me, I was trying to get ahead of feedback by like just 
learning as much as possible about the content of the report. And like, you know, I was trying to get a sort of like direction or like big idea that we could kind of translate into the designs that didn't come until later, but the like get past the hype part of the report, I think was really important and like making sure that the design sort of communicated that in a way that made it make sense. Yeah. Yeah. What I definitely feel like I'm learning from you in this is just the importance of being proactive rather than reactive because it like probably saved you a ton of feedback rounds. The fact that you'd built up that context for yourself. Well, okay. Now that the report is out, what challenge are you working on solving now? Any new projects coming up? Any like, I don't know, system-wide stuff that you're looking to tackle? Yeah, on the on the note of being more proactive than reactive, I think like the brand team in general is trying to develop like a set of assets and like more internal tools in the form of a dynamic brand guide, but also like getting ahead of like evolving the brand and like communicating that to the company in a way that takes stress and like the need to like create assets on a very short timeline off of our plate. That's a continually evolving project. It's something that I'm like really passionate about. So evolving the brand is definitely one challenge. We're just always looking to push in small ways, like how we can continue to maintain this sort of like futuristic and like visual excellence. And we're also currently hiring. So that's like, you know, a little bit of a challenge as well. Yeah, that's that's great. Those are all great challenges to be tackling, and I'll be looking forward to seeing how you solve them and following along with your work. Let's end by you giving some advice, shall we? Because I feel like you've already given me a lot of advice during this yeah. episode and <laughs> to the listeners as well. But what advice will you give to someone who is wanting to create really impactful brand and marketing design work? What should they focus on? Yeah, I would say be a generalist and stay curious. So really diversify the types of literature and like feeds and people you talk to. Try to talk to people who don't work in tech and make sure that you have friends in like different industries and have hobbies that are not necessarily design. Like I think those are all really important things to like have and bring like a like a breath of fresh air to your work and like make it have more depth. I love that. And I feel a little bit called out because I literally choose to run a business <laughs> I, creating design content on the side of my job. But you I've definitely been guilty of that as well. <laughs> definitely. I used Sometimes to, our own you know, advice is the hardest to follow, right? It's, it is. Yeah. It definitely is. But it's great advice. Thank you so much, Lynn, for everything that you shared in this episode. Thank you so much, Charlie. I really enjoyed that conversation with Lynn and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I think a lot of the content out there about AI at the moment is about how to use the tools and what impact they'll have on us as designers. So I'm grateful that this episode gave me a chance to share a different side of the AI conversation with you and we could all learn about the brand and marketing design strategies an AI company is using to reach their audience. You will find links to check out Scale AI as well as follow Lynn and check out more of her work in the show notes or in the video description. If you watch this on YouTube, I'd really appreciate you leaving a comment, letting me know what you thought of the episode. And if you listen to the audio version, I'd really appreciate too if you would take time to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps me get the show out there. You can check out InsideMarketingDesign.com for more episodes because this season it's gotten off to a pretty great start if I do say so myself. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode and I'll see you in the next one. 